Welcome to the Eat Right Nutrition Podcast, where we partner with experts in the health, wellness, and nutrition field to deliver you an excellent variety of content based on real science, real facts, and real food. I'm your host, Daron. And I'm Nicole. And today, we're talking thyroid and metabolism with Dr. Jade Tita. Ladies and gentlemen, episode number 43, we're here with Dr. Jade Tita. We're going to be talking to you today about thyroid function and metabolism. I think this is a crucial topic. I think it's a hot topic, and I think I would prefer no one other than Dr. Jade mm-hmm. Tita to discuss this with our audience. So we've partnered him, with him once again to uh, bring some light on this topic for you. Jade, what's going on, man? Jerome, Nicole, what's up, my peeps? What's going on? How are you? Good <laughs> We're to be good. here. <laughs> We're so excited to have you, of course. This is a, a big topic, and like Jerome said, there is no one else that we would have uh, well, hammer this out other than you. So <laughs> well, welcome back. <laughs> it kind of puts me on the spot because it's also probably one of the most difficult areas mm-hmm. of medicine, um, actually. Mm-hmm. We don't know a whole lot about this, which is why so many people are confused, but hopefully I can shed some light on the subject for people. So I think where I want to start is what is the thyroid and what functions does it serve in our body? I think that's a a good place to start and shed some light on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I like to describe this as a jumbo jet, right? So it's like when you're driving in a big jumbo jet, it's got two huge sort of engines on either wing. The thyroid is one engine the adrenal glands are the other engine. When one of these two things go and they, they basically take all, they're basically the whole driving force of the metabolism. So they do everything in the metabolism. They basically are what runs the show. So when your cells need to speed up or slow down their metabolic rates, it's these two uh, sort of organs that are controlling this, but mainly the thyroid. So that's one way to think about it. And if you lose one engine, what happens? If you're in a plane and a pilot loses one of these engines, He's going to shift power to the other engine, right? And that engine has to begin to do a lot of the work. And this is why a lot of times, one of the reasons why adrenal stuff and thyroid stuff go hand in hand. That's one reason they go hand in hand. The other reason they go hand in hand is because they have a common communication network, the hypothalamus, which is the command and control center of the metabolism. Think of it as the pilot driving this plane communicates with both the adrenal glands and the thyroid and the gonads through the pituitary gland. And so, you know how like, you know, if a pilot in the plane is wanting to tell you what's going on in the plane, he doesn't normally come on and tell you directly. Sometimes the the hostess or someone else will come on or maybe the co-pilot will come on. That's kind of like the pituitary. But this whole communication network is very, very linked. And so to answer your question very simply, just think of this as the speeding up and slowing down apparatus in every cell in your body. And this actually gets us into the discussion. If you can remember this, what happens if cellular energy goes down, right? This is going to slow everything in the body, which is why the thyroid gland is associated with so many overlapping symptoms, things that all the slow stuff from slow blinking to slow talking to slow moving to slow digestive function, constipation, or you have Uh, you know, constipation alternating with loose bowels um, to uh, foggy brain, not being able to remember where your keys are, not being able to remember 
sort of um, uh, names of people and things like that to cold intolerance. So everything slows down when the thyroid slows down. And so you really do want to think of this in simple terms as sort of the thing that controls the speed of the metabolism, even though I don't really like to think about metabolism as being fast or slow. I like to think about it being more flexible, but a problem with the thyroid gland both slows metabolism and makes the metabolism uh, more rigid. One more thing before we go on, just to, to give another analogy, I also like to des uh, describe the thyroid gland as the sentinel organ. And what I mean by that is like, if you think about the sentinel guards on a castle, right? They're the ones guarding the walls. They're the ones always watching out for the castle. They're also the first ones to get hit and get taken out when the castle is attacked. This is another way to think about the thyroid gland because as a sentinel organ, a sentinel guard, chronic stress, chronic dieting, chronic inflammation, chronic infection, all of these things hit the thyroid gland first. And so it is on the front lines of everything that our metabolism has to deal with. Now, Jade, so when we're talking about things like metabolic adaptation, one of those first things to hit is the thyroid where you have this downregulation of the thyroid, which is going to slow things down to conserve energy, basically. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, and then what other stressors would be uh, affecting the thyroid and thyroid hormone? Well, I'm really glad you bring that up because a lot of times um, it, just, it shows how savvy you both are because most of the time people don't think about that. This idea that dieting in itself is going to be something that slows the metabolism down and makes the metabolism more rigid. This is why dieting in itself, as shocking as you know, people want to hear this, it is one of the primary ways to cause dysfunction in the thyroid gland. Now, in a sense, it's not really dysfunction because it's just the metabolism doing what it does. But over time, this can become more permanent. And so this downregulation of thyroid um, through dieting is one, like you pointed out, but there are many others. And the way to think about this, I like to think about it as infection and inflammation, the two ends, right? And so anytime you have any kind of infection, right, that's going to divert cellular resources from doing what they normally do to fighting off an invader, right? Like if you're cooking dinner at your house and someone's trying to break into the house, you're going to let the dinner burn. You're going to stop you know, focusing on making dinner and you're going to go get a gun or something to stop these people from breaking in. This is kind of what happens with cells. And that means they stop taking up thyroid hormone as a result of that. And the thyroid gland itself will slow down its release. So that would be an infectious agent. Also, inflammation is a big one. And inflammation sort of is this a term that a lot of people use and don't quite understand. If you think about it from the standpoint of twisting your ankle, what happens is there's this acute response when you injure a tissue like the ankle, right? So it says, don't move it, you get pain. And it also says, let's bring in blood flow and um, to try to heal this. And this is why you get pain and redness and swelling. Now in the global sort of infect, uh, inflammation in the body, you see this as well, but this is really not necessarily about injuring the ankle, so to speak. It's injuring the whole body. In other words, when the body is producing excess metabolic byproducts, we call these reactive oxygen species. They're kind of like these hot little ping pong balls that go around the cell and tear tissue apart. This happens when we're eating too much and or stressing too much. And especially when we're eating too much and stressing too much and not getting adequate nutrition on top of that, which we all know this is kind of 
the Western world, right? We are overfed and undernourished. We are overstressed and undernourished. This leads to a global inflammatory response. Infection, inflammation, and this sort of chronic dieting or chronic low level uh, you know, decrease in taking energy in and assimilating energy all slows down thyroid function. And one thing I'll say here, because what we need to really do to get into this, um, to really get in depth is that you can have low thyroid function in terms of the gland itself not releasing thyroid hormone appropriately. You can have low thyroid function in terms of the brain not registering uh, thyroid appropriately. And more importantly, and perhaps most uh, difficult to assess is you can have tissue level hypothyroid while the gland is completely normal and the brain is completely normal. And this is the reason why most people who are on thyroid hormone and not feeling better are actually, this is the issue that they're dealing with. They're dealing with tissue level hypothyroid. And unfortunately, we don't know a lot about this. And um, I can almost guarantee your physician knows almost nothing about it because it's not something that has been well studied, but hopefully in this podcast, I'll give you some easy ways to begin to perhaps assess tissue level hypothyroid. So just to repeat real quick, the big ones are chronic dieting, too much or too little food, too much or too little exercise, inflammation, infection. All of these things will lower sort of cellular energy, uh, you know, sort of uh, put the, the cell in alarm mode and make it divert resources from doing what it needs to do energetically wise to taking care of other things. And that impacts thyroid function. So there's a lot going on in terms of how this works. And if you guys want, I don't know if you want to go through this or when you want to go through this, but we can certainly go through just the general thyroid loop. So everyone sort of understands how that works, but I'll start there to see where you want to go. Yeah, we can totally do Absolutely. that. So when you're talking like uh, tissue level, you're talking the hypothalamus is properly communicating to the thyroid gland. And now the thyroid gland is producing adequate T3 for the body. And then there's some kind of a disconnect or maybe a missing enzyme or something within mm -hmm. the cell that isn't allowing you to properly utilize that T3. Yeah, that's really a, a nice way to think about it. So let's go through that loop real quick. The way to think about the thyroid loop, uh, it's basically called in science, the hypothalamus pituitary thyroid axis. But what we really should say is the hypothalamus pituitary thyroid tissue axis. So what happens is the hypothalamus, the command and control center of the brain is essentially registering thyroid hormone. It mainly registers T4, which we'll get into here in just a minute, which isn't really active thyroid. Um, and then the pituitary is also looking at levels of T4 and T3, the two thyroid hormones as well. So the big action point here is actually the pituitary gland because the hypothalamus receives signals about how much thyroid hormone is there, which means it needs to be sensitive to thyroid hormone. There's several different things that um, will uh, make you not be able, the hypothalamus not be able to hear that signal. Chronic stress, cortisol is a global one that makes you not be able to hear lots of thyroid signals at the level of the, or lots of hormone signals at the level of the thyroid. Then the th uh, hypothalamus communicates with the pituitary. Now the pituitary is where a lot of action happens here because it's taking in signals from the hypothalamus in terms of thyroid releasing hormone, TRH, and it takes in that TRH and then it also measures its own thyroid uh, uptake and says, okay, what's my thyroid uptake and what's the hypothalamus telling me? 
then based on that, the pituitary will, will release TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone. That then goes to the thyroid gland and says, hey, thyroid gland, we need more thyroid hormone production. So when you see TSH go up, it's the pituitary telling the thyroid gland, hey, we need you to produce more thyroid. At that point, the thyroid gland releases T4 mainly. T4 is not the active hormone. T3 is. So in the periphery, out in the blood, in the tissues, T4 is converted to active T3. And then the cells will take up both T4 and T3. And depending on the tissue that you're looking at, uh, some tissues take up T4 and make more T3 in the cell, and some will take up uh, directly T3, right? So there's something happening at the level of the tissue. Think of this like T4 and T3 are water and the tissue is a sponge, so it will soak that up. But T3 is the major thing doing the job. Now, T4 can also be made into reverse T3. So I know this gets complicated, but you may need to listen to this several times. T4 can also get converted into reverse T3, which is also inactive. And so really when we're talking about tissue level um, effects of thyroid, what we're talking about is we want free T3 levels to be adequate and to be in the cell so the cell can do its job. Well, I just told you, look at all the places things can go wrong. It could go wrong in the hypothalamus, not hearing the signal. It could go wrong in the pituitary, not hearing the signal or not getting things right. It could go wrong in the thyroid, the thyroid not having what it needs to actually make the hormones. And then a ton of stuff can go wrong in the tissue where T4 is not getting converted into T3 or T4 is not being taken up or T4 is not being uh, made into reverse T3. And then all of that has to feed back again on the hypothalamus in this big loop. So here's what to know if this is confusing for you. Forget everything I said and just know this. The doctors who are measuring your thyroid function are only really looking at TSH. They are only measuring one of the many things I just said can go wrong. They're simply measuring is the pituitary sending out the signal to the thyroid to make hormone or not. It's not looking at the hypothalamus necessarily. You're getting that indirectly through TSH. And it's certainly missing what might be happening at the, the, hypo, uh, the hypothyroid at the tissue. If that's there, you can't pick that up with TSH alone. And so this is why so many people and doctors are confused uh, about thyroid function. Now, one thing I'll say here, and then we'll stop to see how confused everybody is, but here's, here's the one thing I'll say here that is a critical new piece of, of this puzzle. We used to think that thyroid hormone, when it got near a cell, it just diffused into that cell uh, naturally and then went into the DNA to do its job. What we now know is that that's not actually true that thyroid hormone has to land on thyroid receptors that are energy dependent to get into the cell. And this varies tissue to tissue. Now in the pituitary gland, these receptors are not energy dependent. In other words, the pituitary can pick up thyroid signals pretty easily, but the rest of the body cannot. So this is why if the pituitary says, hey, we've got enough thyroid, we're good, let's release TSH appropriately, the appropriate amount, but the cell is saying, I, I don't see it. And this is part of the big problem of thyroid sort of physiology and the way we're measuring it and the way we're handling it. The pituitary might be reacting 
to thyroid one way while the rest of the tissue is being starved of thyroid, right? It's, it's kind of like the Amazon delivery guy dropping off all the packages at the, at the pituitary gland, but none of the packages are making it to their correct destination. This actually is what we now see is perhaps going on. And this is why one of the first things you can do if you're wondering about your own thyroid levels is to simply look at your TSH level. The optimal is going to be somewhere between 0.2 and 2 for and this is why we looked at look at optimal levels because your doctor may not peg you as being hypothyroid until your TSH gets around four or five but you may be having tissue level hypothyroid going on above two and actually there's lots of indications and I'm going to say may here because this may change but there's a lot of indication that this may be the optimal range so if you're someone who's like I feel like I have hypothyroid symptoms and my TSH is in the normal range, like three or something like that, then you might want to consider you're dealing with tissue level hypothyroid if you don't have that optimal level. And I'll give you some more tests in a minute that can help you differentiate this. But I'm going to stop there because I'm sure if everyone's brain is spinning, because this is probably the most complicated area of medicine, hormonal endocrinology that there is. So let's stop and just see where you guys are lost or if you want any clarifications there. So a question for you is when you're measuring the TSH, you, if levels are higher, that means that you're kind of backed up and you have too much TSH? Yeah. So high TSH levels essentially say the pituitary is screaming at the tissues to release more thyroid, right? So you can kind of think of TSH as the volume control. So as TSH volume goes down, this essentially says that the pituitary is seeing enough thyroid and so is the hypothalamus. So the thermostat is happy. As TSH goes up, it's basically turning the volume up. It's sort of like if I say to you, Darone, I need more TSH. And you're like, what did you say? I said, I need more TSH. And you're like, what do you say? I said, I need more TSH or I need more thyroid hormone rather, right? So it's the pituitary yelling and screaming at the tissues make more thyroid. So as TSH levels go up, this is your body screaming for more thyroid hormone. But like I said, the pituitary gland hears way better than the rest of the body. So the rest of the body stops hearing the signals before pituitary gland stops hearing the signals. So once, once the volume goes up from the pituitary gland, you can be sure the rest of the body is definitely struggling with lower thyroid function. This is why we should probably be moving down TSH levels rather than the normal sort of five. Does that make sense? TSH is just the yeah. volume control. Yeah, that now, totally makes sense. So TSH is communicating with the thyroid to uh, release either T3 or T4 and that T3 or T4. So you could potentially have normal levels of T3 and T4 and it's just not going anywhere or getting anywhere. Not only can you have normal levels of T3 and T4, you can actually have high normal levels of T3 and T4 for the following reasons. And this gets even <laughs> more confusing. So the hypothalamus and pituitary together are listening for the T4, T3 signal, but mostly T4, right? And so they're listening and they're saying, do we have enough thyroid or not? Now, let's say that thyroid is normal. They think it's normal. So they go, I'm going to leave the volume the same. I'm going to leave TSH levels the same. Or maybe they get a little less input back. So they're like, I'm going to turn up TSH just a little. So the pituitary releases TSH. 
thyroid stimulating hormone. It goes to the thyroid gland and let's just assume the thyroid gland has everything it needs and releases normal T4 and T3. So now T4 is going through, mostly T4 is going through the blood, going to the tissues, and it is gonna be converted into T3 or reverse T3. T3 is active, reverse T3 is inactive. Now at this point, there's another story here where essentially proteins will bind up uh, these hormones. They don't float around in the blood normally, right? So they have to uh, hitch a ride, like almost like on a bus. So only when the, the hormone gets off the bus, the, the T3, the active hormone gets off the bus and becomes free T3, can it actually do its job? But here's the problem. Like I said, you have to now get those hormones inside the cell. And so what is happening is the cells will take up T4, they will also take up reverse T3, and they will take up free T3. The interesting thing here, though, is free T3 is the thing that it really wants. And so it will take that up faster. But if there's something wrong with these receptors on the cells, what will happen is if the, if the cell is in danger mode, right? It's like a castle that puts up the drawbridge. It says, I'm not letting anyone else in. But maybe there's a back door where it's like T3, free T3, you can come in. We really need you. But T4 and reverse T3, you stay out there. So what ends up happening when you're having tissue level hypothyroid is T4 levels are actually going up slightly. They can be normal or even high normal. And reverse T3 begins to build up as well because the more T4 you have, the more reverse T3 you're going to actually see. And free T3 is being slowed down as well because it has to go through the back door instead of through the front of the castle because the drawbridge is up. And now what you see is high nor uh, normal TSH, high normal to normal T4, higher than normal to normal reverse T3, and also even free T3 can go up while the castle, while the cell is still starving of thyroids. So you might go, Jay, well, then how do we determine this? The way that you determine this is you can measure the free T3 level in a ratio to reverse T3 level, free T3 to reverse T3. And the reason why is because the cell will still take up some free T3, its levels are building up more slowly than reverse T3. In other words, reverse T3 is gonna go up pretty high. So if you look at this ratio, this ratio is gonna be very important. And essentially this ratio should be 0.2. Right. So when you start seeing and I actually have these numbers here for you, because it's important to remember, I'll give you these. So you should you really want to see free T3 between 2.3 and 4.2 in picograms. OK, and you want to see reverse T3 somewhere between 8 and 25 in nanograms. However, if you're only looking at that, that's a problem, because what you really want to see is when when the reverse T3 goes up and that number gets less than 0.2 you're probably dealing with tissue level hypothyroid. So this is the first extra thing that we're adding on now to your thyroid information. What this means for us professionals is we probably want to have a reverse T3 number to understand are our clients being and dealing with issues related to tissue level hypothyroid. Now, why would that be important? Because we'll get here in a minute how we can begin to deal with tissue level hypothyroid, but we need to know it's there. So hopefully that makes sense now. Now we're looking at all of these things together and you want to be measuring T3 in picograms 
and you want to be measuring reverse T3 in nanograms. And you just basically do a ratio of those two, free T3 divided by reverse T3. If that's less than 0.2 and TSH and all these other things are normal or even high normal, yet you're having thyroid symptoms, you can rest assured you're dealing with tissue level hypothyroid. Does that make sense? Confusing, I know, but we can go through it again and again. The most complex episode we've ever done, <laughs> definitely. Uh, but to me, one of the most interesting episodes. I know, we've ever done. I love it. So, do you think that that is more common than yeah. we know, or more common than any of the other factors or other issues, like issues with TSH mm. or issues with communication between the um, hypothalamus and the pituitary, or the pitu pituitary and the thyroid gland? Right? Do you think that the at the cellular level that that is more common? Yes, and I, and I can give you a statistic on this. Although, let me say, if I had another person who specializes in endocrinology here, we would be arguing back and forth. <laughs> Just let, let's all be clear on this. And I know it's frustrating for everyone, but if we had several different people who specialize in endocrinology in a panel here, we would be arguing this point sort of vehemently, right? So the jury's still out here, but according to some research that you read, TSH is only accurate for thyroid issues 16% of the time. Now, this would make some endocrinologists very angry. 16%. 16, 16 1-6. 1-6, 16, 16% of the time. Now, that would make some endocrinologists very angry with me saying that. So I just want to be clear. This is not um, shared across the board. But for people like myself who are working in metabolism all the time, I don't know if it's that low. But I can tell you this. When you give thyroid hormone. More than 50% of the people who you give thyroid hormone to do not end up feeling better in all the ways that they should. Mm -hmm. So this tells us that this is an issue. And by the way, I've just given you the mechanism, even though it's complicated as hell and you might have to listen to it several times. I've given you the mechanism why, and this actually helps you uh, triage your own treatment. The major hormone used in treatment for hypothyroid is T4, right? Now, I just told you that if you have tissue level hypothyroid, that what ends up happening is that energy dependent intake of T4 in some tissues, right? So some tissues, remember what happens here, the tissues are taking up free T3, free T4, they're taking up all of these things, right? Now, if you're having an issue with not taking up T4, and I'm giving you more T4, that's not going to do a great job, right? It's kind of like this sponge that's already, you need to wring it out first. No more water is going to come into this. So this is why uh, just doing T4 is an issue. Now, many savvy doctors, there's two schools of thought here. This is where you get into where the fight happens. Many traditional conventional medical physicians who are endocrinologists will get extremely upset at this and essentially say, you do not treat symptoms, you only treat numbers. And by the way, this is rational because of the following things. Thyroid does a lot of stuff. You do not want it too high or too low. So there is a really good argument to be made that if you give too much thyroid, that you're creating some problems, just like if you have too low thyroid. However, others of us, and I'm more in this camp, think we really need to treat the symptoms of the patient and not just look at average numbers of labs. And, we need, and if we're going to look at labs, we need to look at all of them. So I would say that this 16% number that I'm quoting out of, of a research article is probably, I don't know if that's right or not, but I can say when I give T4 alone to somebody, 50% of those people do not see complete symptom management. Now, when I give something like armor thyroid or 
Synthroid plus Cytomel, which Cytomel is T3, Synthroid is T4, you start seeing better symptom management. And you also start seeing some of these numbers um, fix themselves, but it's still not 100% symptom management because if you're dealing with tissue level hypothyroid, which to your question, Daron, is like, how often is this happening? It's probably happening in every single hypothyroid client there is, whether or not there's, you know, the hypothalamus pituitary thyroid axis is functioning appropriately or not. There's probably some level of tissue level hypothyroid going on. So I would say it's in 100% of the individuals. And so we have to begin to address lifestyle stuff, which is what the three of us do. You can't just give someone thyroid medications and expect everything to fix itself. And this, by the way, if you're a thyroid patient listening to this and you think, well, I'm on thyroid meds and I didn't lose weight, you're not going to until you fix some of the lifestyle stuff that we'll talk about you know, um, in, a, in a bit in terms of fixing this tissue level hypothyroid. And that stuff is not nearly as complicated compared to what we just went through. It's actually pretty simple. And it goes back to a lot of the things you, the three of us teach. Yeah. So I think that's a, a kind of a good segue into the, some of the life, lifestyle stuff, unless Jade, unless you have anything else to add in regards to the medical I, side. I, yeah. I do have a couple other things to add in terms of just um, running a full thyroid panel. Okay. So we don't have to get into too much more of the biochemistry, but if you're going to run a full thyroid panel, here's what I would do. Here's what I would ask your physician. They're going to say TSH is all I need. Well, TSH you've just seen is not going to be the thing if you're still having symptoms. So what you want is a TSH. You want a free T3 and a free T4. You kind of want to see the, the unbound numbers. You also very critically, critically want a reverse T3. So that at least you can do this, this calculation I told you about, the free T3 to reverse T3 ratio. So you want those, TSH, you want free T3, free T4, and you want reverse T3. You also oftentimes would want to get in a thyroid antibody test done to make sure that your immune system is not involved with attacking the thyroid gland, which again, has ramifications into how we would treat this. Now to a conventional doctor, they're gonna treat you the same regardless. They're giving you Synthroid, they're gonna give you T4, whether or not, and that's why they're not gonna run any of these tests. But if you're really wanting to be functional and proactive with your thyroid, those are the tests that I would get. And there's two more or really three more that are important. I won't go too in depth on this because I know we're all already probably biochemed out, but um, steroid hormone binding globulin is uh, SHBG is a compound in the liver that the thyroid interacts in the liver to raise SHBG. So if SHBG is lower than normal, then this is an indication that the, the liver may have uh, some uh, tissue level hypothyroid going on, which would then be an indication that the rest of the tissues are probably dealing with this as well. So now SHBG being low is an indication of tissue level hypothyroid. You also can run a homocysteine level homocysteine levels go up if thyroid cellular thyroid metabolism is low. So homocysteine would also be an indication I'm dealing with tissue level hypothyroid. So now we've got three different markers here. We've got the free T3 reverse T3 ratio. We've got SHBG and we've got homocysteine. And then the final one would be a vitamin D, serum vitamin D. Vitamin D as in David is a critical uh, sort of compound here that interacts 
with a lot of the things that would be causing tissue level hypothyroid in the first place. For example, it is an immune regulator. So it helps with the inflammatory and infectious responses that may be causing the cell to put up the drawbridge and not let any more thyroid hormone in. And so before we go on to what to do, these would be the ways to triage this. TSH, free T3, free T4, reverse T3, thyroid antibodies, SHBG, homocysteine, and vitamin D. These would be the things that I would run as a laboratory test on you to determine what's going on here. Because then we can say, now that we've got all these things, now we can say, is it coming from the pituitary hypothalamus? Is it coming from the thyroid gland itself? Or is this a tissue level hypothyroid? And a lot of times it's and or. So hopefully that's helpful for everything else. It's probably the most important aspect of, of this talk so far. These are the laboratory measures you should get. I'm going to say two things. One, the more and more I learn about, you know, as I kind of progress and continue to learn, the more I learn about vitamin D, yeah. the more I'm like, it's probably the most important vitamin because it has so many functions or I wouldn't even call it a vitamin. I call it a hormone at this point. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, I even look at and this is kind of sidetracking a little bit, but I look at, you know, the covid stuff and the um, the cytokine storms. Right. And there's if you're deficient in vitamin D, you're more likely to have that. Yep. Correct. Absolutely. Right. So, you know, we have a lot of research coming out on that. And one of the things that I say is, listen, if you got low, like always get, you know, I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day about vitamin D and I'm like, you didn't get your, what do you mean you didn't get your vitamin D checked in your blood work? Like that to me is one of the most important things in your labs. Um, the other thing I yep. want to bring up is so you mentioned antibodies. So we're talking about Hashimoto thyroiditis, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. And that is generally, like you said, it's dealt with in the same way. Like, hey, cool, we're just going to give you th uh, Synthroid or, you know, maybe a more savvy doctor is going to do a Synthroid and Cytomel combination. But we kind of have to get and I've heard you kind of talk about some of this stuff. So I do want to get into that a little bit. You kind of get into why is the body attack creating antibodies and attacking its own thyroid? Yeah, well, you know, it's really interesting. One of the things that I think we have to uh, get around and you're pointing to is if we start, we should just start asking the question. We should assume, here's what we should all assume when we're dealing with the metabolism. We, got, we should say, in my opinion, I think this gets us in the ballpark 80% of the time, maybe more. We should just go, if I assume my metabolism is intelligent and doing things based off an evolutionary adaptation response, then why would it be doing this? Why right. would it be slowing down um, the thyroid uh, function, right? What is, what is going sort of wrong here? Well, one of the ways that you can think about this is that when the body is going into, you know, quote, starvation mode, one of the things it's going to be doing is it's going, because think about it this way, when, when we, in an evolutionary sense, what were the major things that were going to take us out? Infection, injury, that's inflammation, right? And then nutrient depletion. That's all the things I just said will make the thyroid, make the, the cells not be able to respond to thyroid. When that happens, what you end up having the body do is it, it does not know, it starts to um, overreact in certain areas and underreact in other areas. It's trying to find itself back to homeostasis. So if we just start there, because I don't think anybody uh, really understands why the, the body is attacking the thyroid gland in this way. But if we just start there, we can see that these things, inflammation, uh, injury slash infection and cellular energetics 
are the major issue here that's causing the body to do all kinds of things, not just attack itself. We know that autoimmune diseases go up and everything else. And so this is the first sort of place uh, to begin to start. And then you have to ask the question, well, what would the body then need to feel as if it's not having to deal with infection, injury, and nutrient slash energetics? The next thing there, the very first thing you do is you essentially go, okay, I need to do a couple of things. I need to either stop eating too little or stop eating too much. One of those. Now you'll know which one you are. I need to either stop exercising too much or stop exercising too little, right? Because that calorie gap between intake and output is what the metabolism is responding to in terms of starvation, infection, injury, et cetera. So that's the first step. And then the next step is, how do I get the adequate nutrition into my body? So here, actually, here's an example. I just posted this on my Instagram story, I think a couple of days ago. Yeah, a couple of days ago. So selenium, a very simple nutrient, 200 micrograms of selenium in this particular study. This is about the simplest intervention you can get. 200 micrograms of selenium every day for six months in Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Um, This is the same thing we're talking about. Antibodies attacking um, or uh, the body attacking the uh, thyroid gland. And what they showed is that just with this intervention, not doing anything else, not dieting, not going carnivore, not doing paleo, not going vegan, none of this, just 200 micrograms of selenium reduced the damage to the thyroid, reduced Hashimoto's antibodies, raised, uh, you know, optimized TSH, optimized T3 and T4, essentially had a complete healing effect on the thyroid gland itself and probably uh, tissue level hypothyroid as well. And so what we really need to be doing is just taking it back as complicated as we made it before. Now let's make it simple and just go, what do does the body naturally use from an evolutionary perspective to deal with infection, inflammation, and uh, poor energetics at the cell? What it does is it does a nutrient dense, adequate movement, low, lower stress environment. Those are the things that begin to fix this. And the big confusion for us three and everyone else is that one of the things that we have in research is something called long latency diseases. They are almost impossible to measure. And what, they, what that means is that in research, we hypothesize that when you have low levels of a particular, particular nutrient for a very long time, it's going to uh, you know, predispose you to many diseases, autoimmune disease, cancer, cardiovascular disease, et cetera. This study that I just mentioned, six months of selenium, 200 micrograms per day, fixing thyroid function is an example of correcting a long latency issue. And so these are the things that we need to do. Manage intake and output narrow that calorie gap, manage our stress, optimize our nutrient intake. This is how we begin to deal with this. Oh, and by the way, Daron brings up a really, really critical point here. And I want to say something and it's going to drive all of you nuts, but I'm just going to throw this out and then I'll see what Nicole and Daron will say. In, In my opinion, the craziest thing that we have ever done in medicine is tell people to stay out of the sun. This might be the dumbest thing that we have ever, ever done. Now, I know that a dermatologist might be listening to this and they are ready to just go livid here. But think about this. Vitamin D is a hormone. It does everything. We were built for the sun. The issue, though, is this. As 
the sun sort of, we got the summer months, we were already out exposing our skin. We never really got burned, right? We, you know, that's the issue. Don't get burned, but expose yourself to vitamin D. Get your vitamin D levels checked. 50 to 100 is where you want them to be, to optimize them. And to me, um, it's funny, when I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's, I have Hashimoto's thyroiditis, I had a TSH of 11, remember I told you normal is four, and a vitamin D of 11, where you're, convid- you're considered severely deficient if your vitamin D is less than 20. Yeah. And, you know, I know Nicole lives in Boston, right? And Daron, you're, <laughs> you're in, what, you're in the city? Or are you up uh, near New York, Boston? Yeah, yeah, New York. Yeah, so, so you two are going to be low. And I know Daron spent yeah. a long time in Boston as well. You're going to be, you know, you're probably going to be low. And we even see, and if you have dark skin, so Mediterranean skin, African-American, any of this kind of stuff, it's even going to be more of a potential issue. This is absolutely critical. Sorry to, to ramble on that, but I'm like, get sun exposure. Just don't get burned. No, Otherwise, I'm, take I'm, vitamin D. I'm, I'm throwing my hands up and laughing because we literally just talked about this on a previous mm. podcast about getting outside and being in the sun and experiencing nature and how important that is on so many levels. And this is just one of them. So, well, you know. we, we talked about you were meant to be outside and you were meant to move, right? And that, that's yeah. something that we kind of try and highlight all the time is like we, we weren't meant to sit around and be inside all day. Yeah, definitely not. Um, but, you know, you bring up a good point with all of that, obviously, with with the thyroid, with the diagnosis. And, you know, it's interesting to me because the things that are causing it. So let's say you have I'm picturing like young, overweight female goes to the doctor and says, I can't lose weight and is having issues and okay, cool. Let's draw some blood work. Let's check your thyroid. Let's let's measure some hormones. Let's look at TSH, right? And the solution. Let's say this girl. I'm sure we've all seen this. The three of us have seen this. Has been consistently for a period of time over exercising and eating anywhere from 800 to 1,000 calories a day. Mm-hmm. And now that girl goes to the physician and says, "I can't get the weight off. It's got to be hormonal. It's got to be my thyroid." you know, you go and you get that those levels checked and the doctor goes, well, sure enough, it's your thyroid. I'm going to put you on T4 or T3 or whatever combination. When in reality, it sounds like what you're saying is that the treatment is stop over exercising and start eating more and nourishing your body because that's mm-hmm. what got your thyroid to downregulate to begin with. Or one of those links in that biochemical chain that we just talked about to uh, be affected by your lifestyle. Yeah, it's both actually. And this yeah. is where I get, I get this question a lot from people. It's actually both. And here's, so remember, we're dealing with two engines on this jumbo jet. If one engine goes out, you definitely, the thyroid is so important that if you don't have thyroid replacement therapy, what we've seen is people with low thyroid who go untreated are at increased risk for cardiovascular disease, especially cardiovascular disease, but they're at increased risk for dementia. They're at increased risk for a ton of stuff. So the point is, if you are if you are actually shown to be low thyroid, you need to be on thyroid medication. The issue, though, that Daron brings up, which is critical, is that that thyroid medication may or may not solve your problems based on how you change your lifestyle. So what you really want to do is you want to put those thyroid meds in place because they basically are essentially bolstering that engine. It turns the engine back on. But then we want to correct why the engine blew out in the first place, because otherwise those things are just essentially, 
you know, it's kind of like trying to bail out the Titanic with a Dixie cup. You're going down if you don't fix this. You know what I mean? You have to fix the issue. So what ends up happening normally, and I've seen this not frequently, but frequently enough, here's what will happen. If you start getting things correct and the tissue level hypothyroid starts turning around because you are starting to manage inflammation, uh, infection slash uh, injury, um, and this calorie gap, what happens is the thyroid starts working better now. And now you've got too much thyroid in your system, right? And the tissues are starting to see them. So now you'll go from hypothyroid to hyperthyroid. You'll start getting, instead of being depressed, you'll be a little bit more agitated. Instead of constipation, you'll start getting loose stools. Instead of being, you know, sort of cold and you'll get hot and sort of sweaty. Once I see that, I'm happy because I go, oh, your body is hearing thyroid again. And now I can begin to titrate down your thyroid dose. And by the way, right, so once you put this treatment on board, um, there are other things you can do, and I'll go through them really quickly um, and try to make it simple for you. But here's what you do. You put thyroid on board and preferably um, you do T4 and T3. Now, there's nothing wrong with putting T4 on right away, but if symptoms don't manage, then that means you're either dealing with a conversion issue, T4 is not being converted into T3, or you're dealing with tissue level hypothyroid like we discussed. So you put the T4 on board. Does that not working well? You move to something like armor thyroid or which is a T4, T3 mix. It's a natural thyroid uh, from porcine from pig. Um, or you go uh, Synthroid and Cytomel, you know, T4, T3 mix. But on top of that, you add in something like ashwagandha, right? Which is an adaptogen that helps the hypothalamus and pituitary, for lack of a better term, hear and regulate the volume a little bit better. You add in selenium and you add in zinc and you, and you add in vitamin D and you add in these other things that are going to help the tissue sort of be uh, more responsive. And you begin to exercise enough, but not too much. And you begin to eat a little less, but not too, not, not too much less, right? And you begin to regulate all of this. And all of a sudden, now you should be able to start seeing the symptoms turn around and if the thyroid is too much, you'll go hyperthyroid. Then I begin to bring you down. But this is how we essentially do this. Now, there's one other thing here since we're going so in-depth, and I think this is probably going to be a podcast that literally is the most in-depth I've ever talked about thyroid anywhere. Yay. So we might, as well just <laughs> we might as well just complete the story here. So ashwagandha, thyroid meds, selenium, zinc, vitamin D, all this kind of stuff. And then one of the primary reasons that you can get tissue level hypothyroid is dysfunction in the mitochondria. The mitochondria are these little energy factories. And when they, you can kind of think of them looking out across a city and you see the smokestacks coming up at the coal plants and the, the, you know, sort of the energy plants, mitochondria are those energy plants. And you really don't want those coal stacks coming up. You don't want to see that fall, that deep black smoke because that does damage. And a lot of people who put their body under excess stress or infection or all those things we talked about will have dysfunctional mitochondria. They'll be spewing a lot of black smoke. And so what we want to do is fix those mitochondria. The way you do that is the following, and I won't make it too complicated, but it basically looks like this. Decrease your food intake for a period of time. Usually 12 hours at night is enough. Just a period of fasting to give your mitochondria time to heal themselves. I like just a simple 12 hour nighttime fast, right? This isn't true intermittent fasting. This is just literally stop eating when the sun goes down and don't start eating until the sun comes up. Give yourself time without food. This will help those mitochondria do a better job. Then you add in specific mitochondrial support. 
CoQ10, which is involved in the electron transport chain, alpha lipoic acid, which is a water soluble and fat soluble antioxidant, and it helps the body regenerate glutathione. Um, omega-3 oils, the mitochondria are made of all these cellular membranes and they need to be fluid enough. So you want some fish oil in there. And then acetyl-L-carnitine, also known as Alcar, which is a potentiator to help drive fats into the mitochondria and help the mitochondria burn more cleanly. So now we have the perfect sort of treatment here. You basically put on your thyroid meds for a period of time, as long as you need them, and some may need them forever. I've opted to stay on my thyroid meds because every time I go off them, my cholesterol goes way up and I don't feel as good regardless of doing all these other things, but I've taken plenty of people off. So you got your thyroid med on board. Then you got something like ashwagandha or rhodiola, some kind of adaptogen on board to help the hypothalamus and pituitary do their job right. Then you're taking care of those critical micro uh, nutrients and vitamins that help the thyroid and all the tissues function better with thyroid hormones. Selenium, zinc, vitamin D are the first ones that come to mind. I'm not gonna mention iodine here because no one should be taking iodine without getting their iodine levels checked. Too much or too little can be a disaster. Do not play with iodine unless you talk to your physician. Then you're going to take care of the mitochondria. Fish oil, CoQ10, alpha lipoic acid, acetyl-L-carnitine, and what am I missing there? Um, CoQ10, alpha lipoic acid, acetyl-L-carnitine, fish oil, that's it. That is what I would be, you know, sort of uh, focusing on as a complete thyroid plan. You know, it's interesting because as far as I know with the mitochondria, you know, I've seen a lot of information on different diet strategies and actually creating more mitochondria or exercise strategies, right? When you exercise mm -hmm. your body, the demand for energy goes up and you create more, more mitochondria to be more efficient with that. But now if you overdo it, so it's kind of like this delicate balance where, mm -hmm. you know, you can optimize mitochondria, create more and more efficient mitochondria. But then on the flip side, if you do too much and take it too far in terms of calorie restriction or over-exercising, you're actually doing the complete opposite of what that benefit to those things would be. Yeah, and, and here's the way to think about it. Too much exercise, not enough nutrients, you're depleting everything. So the mm -hmm. mitochondria essentially go to a halt. On the other side, if you're eating too much, you're getting way too much carbons from, you know, remember, fat and, and glucose, these huge amount of carbons coming into the mitochondria. This is literally what's happened. They're choking on carbons. They cannot access this fast enough and they begin to sort of do damage. So on either side, it's a potential um, problem, like you said. And by the way, a couple hints, since we're going into exercise, there are two ways with exercise to know you're generating, uh, you're stimulating mitochondrial biogenesis. One is the production of nitric oxide. You know you're getting a lot of nitric oxide push when getting the pump, old school Arnold Schwarzenegger pump, right? That where you feel like your body is filled with muscles or filled with blood rather, it feels swollen. These are things like you can get this through partial reps, high reps, lots of different rep schemes, um, nowadays, you can even use a, a, occlusive training where you're holding reps or using, uh, you know, sort of uh, things to occlude the blood flow out. So any kind of pump in the muscle is going to stimulate mitochondrial biogenesis. And also any kind of burn in the muscle is going to stimulate uh, mitochondrial biogenesis. Lactic acid, by the way, which doesn't cause the burn, it buffers against the burn. Lactate is a really interesting molecule because it can be used as energy it stimulates human growth hormone production. It also stimulates mitochondrial biogenesis. And so if you want two very critical biofeedback sensations when you're working out to know you're actually stimulating the body to make more mitochondria, it's gonna be nitric oxide, that pump, 
and lactate the berm. I teach your B's and H's to all my clients. Breath yes. is burning, heated, and heavy. That's right. That's right. The burn and sort of, we probably should add one more on that, right? It's like swollen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, breathless, <laughs> burning, heavy, and heat, and yeah, and the pump. So yeah. B, the two B's, two H's, and the one P. And the, <laughs> the burn and the pump are, that's all mitochondrial stuff happening there. Yeah, I love that. All right. So let me, I think what I'd like to do is just, if you guys are cool with, I'll just sum up because the biochemistry mm -hmm. and all this was really uh, tough to sort of understand. So let's just sum up everything for all of you listening to make this uh, easier. Going back to the beginning, the issue is your doctor will typically only measure TSH. This is the pituitary talking to the thyroid gland. Really issues can happen in several areas. It can happen at the hypothalamus pituitary. It can happen at the thyroid gland itself, or it can happen at the level of the tissue. The big thing about this particular podcast is no one ever talks about what happens at the level of the tissue because it's incredibly complex and there's not a great way to measure it. So all you need to know is what I talked about before. If you wanna know if something's going on at the level of the tissue, then you get the following tests done. You get TSH, you get free T3, free T4, reverse T3, and steroid hormone binding globulin, SHBG, as well as homocysteine, okay? So you get these tests. Now what happens is the TSH will tell you how well the pituitary is talking to the thyroid. The amount of free T3 and free T4 will tell you if the thyroid gland is secreting enough of the hormone, making enough. The free T3 to reverse T3 ratio will tell you if you are dealing with uh, tissue level hypothyroid along with SHBG. Those numbers are going to be 0.2 or lower. You've got an issue probably with hypothyroid, tissue level hypothyroid. That number will be free T3 divided by reverse T3, less than 0.2. You're probably dealing with an issue there. SHBG, this is going to be less than 70 in women and less than 25 in men typically. And this is simply because estrogen also releases SHBG. That's why it's higher for women. So if you have a free T3 to reverse T3 ratio less than 0.2 and you have an SHBG less than 70 for women and less than 25 for men, as well as elevated homocysteine, then you're probably dealing with tissue level hypothyroid. That was the whole first part of this. It's all you need to know about the whole first part, okay? Now, the next part of this is essentially, okay, well, what do I do about that if I do have tissue level hypothyroid and we can probably assume that you probably do at some level anyway. What do I do about that? Well, you do not come off your thyroid meds, okay? First of all, you stay on your thyroid meds. You may want to though move from a T4 only thyroid med to a T4, T3 thyroid med based on symptoms. Talk to your physician about that. You may also wanna to talk to your physician about adding ashwagandha or rhodiola, some kind of adaptogen to help the hypothalamus and pituitary work a little bit better and hear the thyroid hormone a little bit better. You also may want to be adding and making sure that you're taking a multivitamin every single day that is giving you adequate zinc, adequate selenium, and adequate vitamin D. And you may wanna actually measure your vitamin D to be between 50 and 100. This is sort of what you want um, to be doing here. The next part of this is to deal with the tissue level hypothyroid, you need to deal with inflammation, infection, and exercising too little or too much or eating too little and too much. You want to get this correct. What you really want is a nutrient dense diet that is not too little or too many calories, nutrient density. 
On top of that, you want to get in fish oils. And then if you really feel like this is going on and you've been taking thyroid for a while, even armor thyroid, and you feel fatigued and you just feel like there's a lot of damage that's been done over time, you could add in the mitochondrial cocktail, which is essentially uh, high dose fish oils. I would say three to five grams per day of a good quality fish oil for about a three month period of time. And then add in alpha, lipo uh, alpha lipoic acid, 200 to 600 milligrams daily, CoQ10 about 100 milligrams daily, acetyl L-carnitine about one to three grams. This is the plan that I would essentially put you on for about three months or so. And then what happens is you should perhaps, if your uh, thyroid is healing, you'll start to feel more hyperthyroid-like symptoms. Then you could talk to your doctor about titrating these things down. This is sort of, to me, the encapsulation of what we talked about. Um, I appreciate all the work you do as always. I think this is a great, great episode and, uh, you know, I can't wait Thank you. to, uh, you know, release this. Yeah. Love you guys. Thanks for your work. I appreciate you both. I appreciate it, Jade. Ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed this episode, click subscribe, give us five stars, share this with a friend and you'll hear us next week.